always a privilege to be come before you and to uh, share just what God has, you know, opened up our eyes and our hearts through His Word. And as you, as uh, Richard just mentioned, uh, I'm continuing with the the I am statements that Christ um, mentioned that that's mentioned in the Book of John. Uh, we've already co- covered three of them, and uh, the last one being. I am the door, whose text actually precedes the section that we'll be covering today. And in that last sermon, we kind of looked at how Christ is the gate or the door through which salvation happens, and how he protects those who have been redeemed. So in today's text, we kind of follow that same theme of the shepherd and the sheep, but look at it from a slightly higher viewpoint where we see with, with a little bigger picture view of it. So the text that I'll be covering is John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. And I'll be reading from the ESV standard. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, as I started going through this text and just looking into it, that first verse itself, not even the first full verse, the first half of that first verse had so much to provide and so much um, insight into what Jesus is trying to portray in these verses. See, at the, at the time when this was recorded, the Jews were under the Roman rule, but the Pharisees were kind of, you know, you could say, overseeing the, the Jewish nation while under Roman Empire. So the Pharisees had kind of an oversight over the people who were there. Now, based on all the examples that we see in the Bible, the shepherd is, is kind of a depiction of a leader, someone who you know, takes care of the people, who provides for the people. So in that sentence itself, Jesus wants to differentiate him from himself from the rest of the leaders that are being recognized by the Jewish people. When you look at that first part of the sentence, especially the way it's structured in its original text, it basically says, I am the shepherd, just like all the other Pharisees, but I'm the good one. I am the shepherd, the good one. He's trying to differentiate himself as being different from the rest of the religious leaders there who were probably in it for the money or for fame or for position. 
And the word good there used isn't the one that usually pertains to you know, moral attributes, but one that encompasses even more than that. It basically means excellent in its nature and characteristics, noble, praiseworthy. Jesus is establishing his prominence among the other shepherds. Now, when you look at it historically, to the Jews, who was the greatest shepherd when they look in their history? It was David. David was the greatest shepherd, the shepherd that grew to be king of Israel. So now, Jesus is coming and declaring to the people that he is greater than David. I'm sure that must have gone really well with the people there. He must have been like Mr. Popular. So, he's already setting a stage where he is challenging the norms of society there, but for a reason. Now, the job of a shepherd is not an easy one. It was a lot of hard work being out most of the day, and sometimes you don't return back home till probably the next day or you know, even longer than that. It's all depending on you know, where the food was for the sheep to graze and things like that. So the sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd for guidance, sustenance, etc. So keeping that in mind, the shepherd also had to protect the flock from dangers like wild animals and even just the treacherous routes that they had to go through. Now, you could think if I had like 100 sheep and I lost one, that's still a 99% success rate. I would be happy with that. If you look at you know, society now, you know, all the auto recalls and stuff like that, as long as you're in the you know, 80%, that's considered success. But for the shepherd, even losing that one was very important. That was the work ethic under which they operated. So knowing that, would Jesus, the good shepherd, be any less? One is not an acceptable number. Zero would be acceptable. All the sheep go out, all the sheep come back. And one of the first things that Jesus, the good shepherd, is willing to do is lay down his life for the sheep. Now, when we look at that cross, we see Jesus' body on that cross, where his body was given up. But the word that is used here is not just body, it's his soul. You could think that, you know, he is God, so the body doesn't matter because he is God. But the word that's used here is he poured out his soul for his sheep. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the son of man gives his life a ransom for many. He willingly gave up his soul for the sheep, for his people. And it wasn't taken from him. He made that decision to give it up voluntarily. Now, I want us to really think about that point because it's the basis from where everything kind of flows. You know, sometimes when we are put in a spot, somebody will ask you, you know, you know, brother, I need some help this afternoon. You know, it'll probably, you know, take the whole day. You know it. And since you're put in that spot, you know, you're tentative because being lazy, you just want to go home on a Sunday and just relax. But since you're put in the spot, you'll probably say, you know, it's better that I actually do this. Now, the flip side of that is, 
you know someone needs help, they haven't asked for it, but you voluntarily go knowing that it's going to take the rest of your day, but you know that is what is meant to be, or that's what you're meant to do. Now, in the second example, you could easily walk away and no one would be the wiser, but Christ could have said, I created them, I can always you know, wipe the slate clean and restart again. But no, Christ willingly came down as man to die on that cross for our sins. He suffered pain and humiliation at the hands of his own creation and died on that cross to bear the sins of everyone from past, from present and future. And that verse clearly illustrates that. And if you look at all the examples that Christ used, it's, to, it's relevant to the people there. Now, the people there were well aware of what the life of a shepherd was. I mean, they probably didn't have you know, reality TV of you know, Discovery Channel following a shepherd 24-7 and reporting on that. But in every village, there was probably a shepherd that they interacted with, or they themselves were shepherds, and they knew the risks and dangers that they went through. And, and to hear that the shepherd is willing to die for his flock and that a man would be willing to die for other men's sins was what Christ was trying to convey to the people there, that that is why he was different from the rest of the shepherds. And when you look at the next verses, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The next two verses clearly depicts the type of shepherd that Jesus did not want to be associated as. And the second piece of that was he was also sending a wake-up call to the leaders there, telling them to, you know, wake up, pull your socks up, and this is what your role as a leader should be. How many of us who's, you know, rented a car have done this? You, you know, you see that corner, you probably don't slow down, you'd like to take it a little bit hard, push it. It's a rental. Right? You can always push it a little bit. If it's your own car, you'll probably you know, be a little bit more you know, concerned over, because you had to keep that car for the rest of your, at least your car payments, and then after that you hope you get a couple of months without having to worry about payments. But, or if you go looking for homes, or you, know, and you go house hunting, you can kind of tell the difference of the ones that are maintained by the owners and the ones that are maintained by people who are renting. That's a big difference. So our, sta- our standards for our homes and our own car and our own toys and our own tools is higher than our standards for things of others. I'm not saying it's right. That's what Christ came into this world to change. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But that's just how human nature is. And of course, God's transforming power is working within you. And that's why he's referencing the hirelings who are not shepherds, who don't own the sheep. So when they see the wolf coming, they just leave. Basically, at the end of the day, I'm not getting paid enough for this. I'm not getting paid enough to fight a wolf for a bunch of sheep. So he flees, and then the sheep are scattered. So to them, sheep tending is just a job, just a rental car, a rental home. They don't have the effort and the time invested, and they don't have the care and the love. All to them is earning a living. But for Jesus, it is, he's not the hired hand. Again, he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I, now, and I know my own, and my own know me. The difference is that the hired hand loves his life more than the sheep, but Jesus loves his sheep more than his life. Four times in the passage, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Verse 18, no one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. He keeps repeating it so that people will understand what he's trying to convey. When he sees the wolves, He does not leave the sheep to be destroyed. He fights the wolves and saves the sheep. And in doing so, he lays down his life for the sheep. And the other reason that he mentioned this is a reminder to the leaders of the day to take care of the flock. And that still applies today. The church leadership and those in position of leadership have a great responsibility that comes with being involved with the flock of God. It's a responsibility that cannot be taken lightly. It's not just a job. It's a commitment to God and the people of God. In verse 14, when he says, I know my own and my own know me, it's not, that knowledge is not you know, at a head level or academic level you're talking about. It's about that intimate relationship. It's like, me, it's like I saying, I know Stephen Harper, the Prime Minister of Canada, and I know my wife. In both cases, I know them, but with my wife, I'm able to understand, I'm able to take that understanding to a deeper level, to what makes her happy, what makes her sad, to why she's angry with me, which is usually more than the other two. <laughs> But do I know what makes Stephen Harper happy or sad? Or do I care? 
And in general, probably if he wins the next election, he'll be happy. We can kind of make a guess. But in his daily life, do I know what makes him happy or sad? But I have that understanding with my wife because we have that type of relationship. And we have that type of relationship because we take the time and effort to build that relationship. And we take the time, to, time and effort to build that relationship because we love each other. See, each layer builds on the other one, like a cake. I like cakes, so let's put that in. So, and since we're on the subject of cake, the icing on the cake is the next verse. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We know the relationship between God and Jesus. It's been relayed in other passages of the Bible as well. And even in Matthew 17, 5, he, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. John 5, verse 20. For the, law, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The depth of love and understanding between God the Father and God the Son is something that we will never completely comprehend. So keep that image there. God the Father and God the Son. So the word of the phrase that connects this verse to the previous one is where Jesus was talking about, you know, knowing his sheep and vice versa is just as. The word just in its adverb form means exactly, precisely. You know, that's just what I needed. So now when we put what we have gone over in those two verses and slightly rearrange it, it goes like this. Exactly as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I know my own and my own know me. Exactly as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I know my own and my own know me. Isn't that amazing? The magnitude of God's love is beyond what we can even comprehend. Now, we all know that the primary audience was mainly to the Jews. The primary audience that Jesus was talking to was the Jews. But when you look at verse 16, he infers that salvation is not just for the Jews, but for everyone, for all those in the world. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The other sheep that are not of this fold refers to the Gentiles. When we look at some of those keywords, it relates even more of God's plan and his greatness. And I have other sheep. It doesn't mean that he's not going to go out and reach out to them. He already has them. He already possesses those sheep, and he must bring them also. He's obligated to bring them into his fold. And we kind of touched upon this when I spoke last time, is the sheepfold. It was a place in the village or a temporary that is set up where all the sheep were housed, especially when it's nighttime. And then the shepherd would lay in front 
of the gate, the entrance, so that the sheep couldn't leave and no one could come in without going through him. Now, if there was a fold in the village, all the sheep were there of different shepherds, but in the morning, each shepherd would just call out and their sheep would automatically just come to them because the sheep knew their shepherd. And that is what Christ is saying. Yes, Israel, you're also called, but the rest of the world, you're also called. I know you and I want you to be within my protection, within my fold. The flock consists of everyone who knows Jesus Christ. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So when you look at it in summary, Jesus didn't do this because it was forced upon him. Like we touched upon earlier, it was because of his love and his care and his grace. And one of the important pieces here is that I have the authority to take it up again. Because we talked about how important a shepherd is for the sheep. Because as soon as the shepherd is gone, or there isn't there anymore to protect the sheep, and if wolves come, if danger comes, the sheep are scattered. So when Christ died on that cross, and we saw it in Scripture, the disciples were scattered all around. And they didn't come together until Christ was risen. And he brought them back together. Just as Christ has already laid down his life, he has already taken it up. See, without the resurrection, we would still be scattered sheep at the mercy of the dangers of the world. Dangers that we would have no power to overcome. But we have a good shepherd who takes care of his flock. The question is, do we heed his voice and follow? And as we go through our daily lives, to the rest of the week, it is imperative that we reflect on that. To see that in everything, there's God's grace and his mercy and his love. Because we are his flock. When we think of all the things that could happen, when we see all the situations out there, it's not saying that we don't go through troubles and tribulations, but... God doesn't let us go through more than we can handle. He's a just God. He's a merciful God. And let us just bow our heads and we thank God for his word and his instruction and his son. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come in your presence and that you would share from what you have taught us over the years that even though we are helpless and defenseless, that you, the good shepherd, would come down on this earth, not only die so that we could be reunited with you, 
that our relationship with you will be restored, but that you rose again so that you are there protecting us, so that the dangers of this world would not impact us. We pray that as we depart, that you would fill our hearts and our minds, that we would heed your voice when you call, that we would not be led astray by the different sounds and the different activities of this world, that we would follow the one and true Good Shepherd. I ask all these things in the precious name of the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.